It's called the wonder drug. When it's in your system, you're more dynamic, energetic, optimistic with it. You're happier, healthier, friendlier. When it's pumping through your heart, you sleep better, exercise more, and you're more resistant to sickness. Kids who have it make better grades. They set higher goals. They feel more content. Adults who have it are like springtime all the time. They're just pleasant to be around. It's the wonder drug. It's called gratitude. Gratitude. So what is it you're grateful for this year? We've heard from some already, haven't we? This year, for some, God has given a gift. Maybe it's a tangible gift, a physical gift. Perhaps he helped some of you through a trial, a very difficult and dark, cloudy season. And maybe he is still helping you through that trial, even this morning, and you're here. For some of you, he's restored a relationship, a marriage, a friendship. Maybe he restored your job. Maybe he's restored your health. Did God give you a challenge this year? Did he give you a challenge you would never, ever ask for? But as you look back, you see how he used it to grow you. What are you grateful for this year? Well, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to a passage of Scripture that is a, it's a gratitude passage of Scripture. I'm speaking of Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Just take your Bibles and kind of turn about to the middle, and you'll find the book of Psalms, and I'm, I'm going to be reading. Actually, we're going to be reading from Psalm 100. It's on page 427 of your church Bibles, and it's up on the screen as well. And I'd like for us to do a responsive reading, all right? And here's how that's going to look. Um, I'm going to read the white letters, and when you see the uh, Illini orange letters, that's you, all right? That's how we'll do it. Let's read Psalm 100. I'll start. Shout for joy to the, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 100. This is the word of God. I've got a little booklet uh, in a drawer, uh, in a dresser, um, in the dining room, by the dinner table, and um, it's, it's a little booklet on etiquette, and whenever I want to torture my sons, I'll take this little booklet out, and I'll read this section on etiquette, and um, I don't get a chance to do such gestures very much now because they're bigger than I am. And, but, but, you know, little things that just we need to know about proper etiquette, like, you know, how to write a thank you note, 
okay? Personalized stationery and um, you know, royal blue fountain pen really is a nice touch. Thank you notes. Thank you notes to people are proper etiquette. You, you know the drill. The, the, the thought that goes into the thank you note should at least equal the thought that went into the gift. That kind of a thing. I'm thinking of Hugh Hewitt, who is an author and commentator, and uh, he wrote an article uh, that talks about the importance of people learning to express gratitude. Uh, it's an article titled, Do You Know Whom You Owe? Do you, do you Know Whom You Owe? He says, when was the last time you credited someone with contributing to your success? We listen to stylized thank yous from Oscar winners at their moment of stunning achievement. They recite their thank yous, sometimes too rehearsed, until the orchestra interrupts and it's commercial time and then it's move on time, time for something else. But genuine gratitude is of a different texture altogether. It begins by thanking those who make daily life possible. Do you realize that? Do you, do you realize that there are legions of people who cooperate to make every minute of each one of your days possible? Now, some of, them worked, some of them worked quite hard just this past week to get your Christmas gift from the warehouse to your front porch. What about the crossing guard who protects your children, your neighbor's children, and even you from the tragedy you might otherwise be a part of? What about the sailors on aircraft carriers half a globe away, standing watch, faithfully defending freedom? Right now, there are roughnecks on drilling platforms, extracting oil so that you can drive where you want to go, and as well as meteorologists updating you on where you shouldn't drive where you want to go. What about the receptionists, the secretaries, the restaurant cooks, the waiters, the dishwashers, the trash collectors? And that's just today's set of thank yous. Someone once nursed you, clothed you, kept you safe. Not everyone can say that. Millions die before they draw a breath. Millions more before the age of five. Millions more are beaten, abused, famished, and diseased. Someone taught you to read. Someone gave you music. Someone showed you a sport. Someone inspired you to read, taught you about God, introduced you to your spouse, gave you that interview, offered you that job. Someone assisted your dad. Someone helped your spouse. Someone coached your daughter. And someone, someday, will bring you a blanket in a hospital room. Someone, someday, will give you a ride to the doctor's appointment. And someone will hold your hand as death approaches Hewitt says, our utter dependence on others is so obvious and so complete, it's as invisible as oxygen and just as necessary. No wonder, Hewitt says, do you know whom you owe? Well, God's people should always possess a spirit of gratitude because it is the wonder drug. At the same time, this passage of Scripture takes gratitude to a higher place. Psalm 100 says that biblical gratitude is more than proper etiquette. It's worship. You see that there? Shout. Worship. Come. No. Give thanks. We're talking worship here. These are worship verbs. You see, Psalm 100 is, is an example of, of Hebrew poetry. And, and one of the major features of Hebrew poetry is that of repetition or restatement. Parallel verses. And uh, often we miss that because 
you know, in English, uh, the major feature of English poetry is rhyming. Maybe Christmas doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas means a little bit more. Dr. Seuss. Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. Hebrew poetry repeats and restates. And what what Psalm 100 is repeating and restating is this. Gratitude is not a handwritten note. And then we can go about with our lives. It's worship. It's giving all that I am to all that God is. It's the total reorientation of our lives. It's a life commitment to the God who is responsible for where I am today. You see, according to Psalm 100, God doesn't want a thank you note from you. He wants your life. And because biblical gratitude is nothing less than making God our greatest treasure, It's important that when we say thank you in such a manner, we do it to the right person. (laughs) Let me think about it. It's of little consequence to send a thank you note to the wrong address. It's a whole other matter to reorient our lives to the wrong God. And so verse 3, know that the Lord is God. You see that? Know that the Lord is God. Now, now, the message in that phrase is not simply make sure you get the right God. Well, yeah, yes, yes, we must. But there's a, well, that phrase, know that the Lord is God, it's, it's a phrase, it's one of those phrases that triggers a memory of a historical event, an important historical event, a, a new normal kind of historical event. Uh, And here's what I mean. Uh, In our culture, when you hear the phrase, uh, four score and seven years ago, I mean, that phrase, that phrase, what does that phrase do? It triggers a memory of a historical event, but not just any old historical event, a new normal kind of historical event, the Civil War. What about we hold these truths to be self-evident? See, that's a phrase that that triggers a historical event, a a new normal kind of historical event, the founding of our country. What about this phrase, a date that will live in infamy? Again, Pearl Harbor. And what about in our day? Let's roll. Let's roll. See, that's a whole new normal there, isn't it? Well, the phrase, know that the Lord is God, those who would have first heard this phrase, their memories would have been triggered to a historical event, a new normal kind of historical event. I'm talking about the exodus of God's people from Egypt and Egyptian slavery, Uh, a new normal kind of historical event. See, that phrase comes from Deuteronomy chapter 4, verses 34 and 35. Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by miraculous signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You were shown these things so that, here it is, so that you might know that the Lord is God. There it is. Besides him, there is no other. 
That phrase, know that the Lord is God, means that the jury of our hearts has reached a, a verdict, and the verdict is concerning who the true God is. And the verdict is this, the Lord is God. Now look at that word Lord there. You see, did you notice there, um, in virtually all of our English translations, that word is capitalized, capital L-O-R-D. What is that all about? Well, when you see that Lord in all capital letters, that's the Hebrew word for God's name. What's God's name? Yahweh. Yahweh. See, Israel was surrounded by pagan nations and these pagan nations, these people groups, they all had deities and their deities had names. The Philistines had a deity, Dagon. The Moabites had a deity, uh, Molech. The Canaanites had a deity, Baal. See, all names have meanings. Randall, Randall, shield wolf. It means strong and dominant. Bolting house, house of the bold ones. Strong and dominant, house of the bold ones. My mother says to me, son, you're stubborn. I say, you named me. What? <laughs> Yahweh. Hebrew. I am that I am. I am that I am. I was what I was. I will be what I will be. It's, it's the broadest most encompassing verb in Hebrew, the verb to be, as if, as if God is saying, you, you know, you can't put boundaries on me. I, I have no boundaries. And the word God there in verse 3 is, is simply Hebrew for deity or supreme being. And what Israel is saying is that Yahweh is the only true Elohim. Yahweh is the only true God. Yahweh is the only true Elohim, supreme being. In the jury of our hearts, we've concluded, based on what the Lord has done, based on rescuing us and redeeming us, bringing us out of an old life of slavery, based on that, We've seen that he is the true God. He came through for us when these other puny gods couldn't. And lest any of us think that, uh, well, those ancient deities were for those unsophisticated ancient cultures, but we don't deal with that today. There's a Hebrew word for that. Baloney. Okay? Fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Life only has meaning if... Life only has meaning if. Whatever, whatever you fill in that blank with, functionally, that's your God. Life only has meaning if I have power or influence over others. Well, you're just worshiping a power God. Life only has meaning if I'm loved and respected by so-and-so. Well, you're just worshiping the approval God. Life only has meaning if a, a, a particular group, a peer group or a professional group lets me in. Well, you're just worshiping the inner ring God. Life only has meaning if I excel at my work. Well, that's just the achievement God. Life only has meaning if my children are happy and or they are happy with me. Well, that's the family God. And, and these are good things, but they become lousy. They, they're good things that make lousy gods because they have no power to save us, no power to liberate us. In Psalm 100 counters that 
Yahweh has appeared and Yahweh has come through. And incidentally, it's no accident that in the New Testament, Jesus used I am intentionally when he would say phrases like, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. See, that's no accident. He's, he's, he's identifying himself. Jesus is claiming to be Yahweh in the flesh. And in his death and burial and resurrection, he came through. And so this psalm, this psalm which exalts and identifies who the true God is, also is, an, is a psalm that invites, invites the nations to join in this worship Who's this psalm addressed to anyway? Who's the psalmist speaking to? Verse 1. Shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth. All the earth. We're addressing all the earth. All the earth. The nations, the tribes, the people groups. In Psalm 100, God's people are saying to the surrounding nations, you're wasting your worship. You're wasting your life on the wrong gods. Yahweh is, in fact, the only true and living sovereign God. But, but the message isn't, you know, uh, 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 you know, thumbing their nose at the nations. We're right, you're wrong. No, that's not the message. The message is that God's people are inviting the nations to the blessings they currently enjoy. Join us. Join us in true worship. There's room for you. Stop wasting your worship on gods who cannot save because they do not exist. And some of you know what I mean here. This past year, this past year has been a learning experience and you, you, have, you have leaned on gods that do not exist and therefore cannot save. And you've learned that the hard way. Some of you were lost a year or two ago, rudderless wasting your life, wasting your worship. And you kept feeding these false gods and they kept taking because they will keep taking as long as you keep feeding. They're very demanding. They take, but they give nothing. They bring nothing to the table. But as in Exodus of old, when you were rudderless and lost, Yahweh showed up and delivered you. And here you are. And then you picked up your Bible. And you started meeting and getting to know this God who rescued you. And you reached the verdict. Yahweh is Elohim. And your life has never been the same. Gratitude is good. Gratitude's good if it if it's to the right God. <laughs> and gratitude is good because God is good, right? And that's where we are in verse three. It's he who made us. We are his. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. Did you catch the repetition again? The restatement, you see? What's the point? What's the point? That he made us? Well, yes, yes, God is the creator, Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, of course. But the idea here is not just that God made us, but that he made us into something, into his people. God created a community, a kingdom. 
1 Peter 2.10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. God did that. God made and God is maintaining a community of his own. He's near, we're safe. He's present, we're protected. Emmanuel, Emmanuel, God with us. Someone, someone said this. Someone said that Satan trembles whenever he hears the word Emmanuel. That, that Emmanuel is hell's terror. Let Satan come to you suddenly, and if you just whisper that word, Emmanuel, God is with us. Back, Satan falls, confounded and confused. God with us is our strength. And how could the preacher preach without it? How could the believer pray? How could the missionary serve? How could the martyr stand at the stake? If that one word were taken away, God with us. God with us, it's eternity's sonnet, heaven's hallelujah, the shout of the glorified, the song of the redeemed, the chorus of the angels, the everlasting oratorio of the great orchestra of the sky, Emmanuel, God with us. No wonder, no wonder this psalm concludes with the goodness of God. Verse five, for the Lord is good. Now, the Bible defines good. How how does the Bible understand the word good? The, The Bible defines good this way. The Bible says that something is good when something functions according to its design. We were made to be a worshiping community with God at the center That is good, and God will never disappoint. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. We heard that here at this microphone just a little while ago, didn't we? God is good. His faithfulness continues. And you know that goodness and that love and that faithfulness, they never experience a dip. They never, they never um, in our family, there's a, there's a phrase, uh, there's nothing so over as Christmas, <laughs> right? And, but that's not how God is. God, God, that's not how it is with God. God never gets emotionally exhausted. God never feels fatigue. God doesn't get, God never gets peopled out. Never. His love is constant. And we, and, and we need that because some of us cannot come to these microphones here this morning and say that this has been a wonderful year and a cheerful year. For some of you, it's been a hard year. For some of you, it was all you could do just to be here this morning. But God is good, meaning that whatever comes into our life has first gone through his life and he is allowing us to experience trials of many kinds so that the testing of our faith will develop perseverance so that we can become mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so even when we hurt, God has our good in mind, meaning he will never stop loving us, never stop shielding us, never stop protecting us. No one, church family, no one wants you in heaven more than God. No one. 
That's why the Apostle Paul would say in Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to bring it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Hmm. And so when, when we have that kind of a guarantee, that kind of knowledge of the true God and thus of ourselves, because once you, are, once you know who God is, you know, you know who you are. That kind of knowledge of the true God. We then, who have entered his courts with praise, can now, in Christ and because of Christ and through Christ and for Christ, stand at the gates. And we can say to the nations, enter his courts. Come through these gates. Come through the door. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the good shepherd. We are his flock. In Jesus, Yahweh has done what only God can do. And that's how we know God, Jesus. And that's how we know that we, we are enjoying the promises that are still to come. Jesus, and that's how we know we belong to him, and that's how we know that his love endures forever. That's how we know that God made us his people and promises us to love us forever through Jesus. Church family, the future will be good not because we know what it is, but that we know who waits there when it arrives. And so of all people, we, we have the most reason to show gratitude. Gratitude, it is the wonder drug. No wonder someone once said that gratitude is a vaccine, an antitoxin, and an antiseptic. As a vaccine, it can prevent the the invasion of a disgruntled, discouraged spirit. As an antitoxin, gratitude protects us from the poison of cynicism and grumbling. And as an antiseptic, it can soothe a troubled spirit. Church, the word for the day is this. Give thanks to Yahweh. He is God. Through Christ, we are his. And he is good. Amen? We are going to spend some time in thanksgiving and gratitude now as we um, participate in um, communion, showing gratitude to God for his goodness through Jesus Christ, uh, gratitude to God in the giving of uh, offering, and, um, and gratitude to God by thanking those who belong to him. Uh, As you come to the table here, I'm going to pray in just a moment, and then uh, you make your way up for communion and give your offering. But then there's a card that looks just like this here, and it says, I'm thankful for you. And what I want us to do here, after you receive communion, after you give your offering, I want you to to, uh, take a card, and I want you to write a brief note to someone that you'd like to give this card to, maybe in this room here. And, uh, or maybe you want to go to uh, one of our uh, uh, servants who's helping in the children's ministry right now. And you just, let's just let uh, gratitude and encouragement, uh, or, or maybe you need to, uh, 
you know, maybe you're thinking of someone that you need to go see today and just hand deliver. Don't mail this. You hand deliver. Let them see the smile on your face and the love in your heart as you, as you just let encouragement and gratitude and thanksgiving abound. And, and it, it will be a sweet, sweet thing for both you and the one who receives your love. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to receive communion and uh, give our offering. And you, you, take, uh, you take this card, or two or three, and uh, you, uh, you write a note, and, and you, you walk over to that person in the room today, and you hug them, and you give them a card, and you let them see your loving eyes.